2: In the heart of a vast and untouched forest. If
1: you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: A group of three young hikers embarked on an adventurous journey. Their backpacks weighed them down, but their spirits were high with anticipation. Each hiker possessed a unique personality that set them apart. There was Mark, the outgoing and fearless leader of the group. His rugged appearance matched his adventurous nature, and he wore a determined look on his face as he navigated through the dense foliage. By his side was Sarah, a nature enthusiast with a gentle spirit. Her bright eyes sparkled with curiosity as she soaked in the beauty of the surroundings. Finally, there was Alex, the mischievous and carefree joker of the group. Always up for a thrill, he added a light-hearted touch to their excursions. As they trekked deeper into the forest, fate led them to an unexpected discovery. A long-forgotten Cherokee Native American burial ground. The air hung heavy with a sense of sacredness, and whispers of warning seemed to echo through the trees. Local tribesmen, led by an elder known as Sitting Owl, had long guarded this resting place, cautioning outsiders to show respect and avoid disturbing the spirits that dwelled there. Ignorant of the sacredness and disregardful of the warnings, the hikers succumbed to the lure of mischief. In their inebriated state, they thoughtlessly disrupted the tranquility of the burial ground, defiling it with their disrespectful actions. Night fell, casting an eerie veil over the forest the hikers seeking refuge from the darkness stumbled upon an abandoned Native American cabin hidden amidst the trees. Unbeknownst to them, the cabin had its own dark history, intertwined with the curse of the disturbed burial ground. As the moonlight filtered through the cracks in the cabin's wooden walls, the atmosphere grew increasingly sinister, unseen forces stirred, awakened by the desecration of the sacred ground the hikers' presence had unleashed an ancient curse that sought to exact its vengeance upon those who trespassed. One by one, the hikers began to succumb to strange and inexplicable afflictions. Mark, the fearless leader, was struck by a sudden and debilitating stroke that left him paralyzed and helpless. Sarah, the nature enthusiast, convulsed violently, vomiting a black, viscous substance. Before succumbing to a suffocating darkness, Alex, the carefree Joker, inexplicably lost his sight, stumbling blindly and meeting a tragic end when he fell upon the sharp blades of a long-forgotten garden rake. The next morning, sitting out with a mix of sorrow and anger, arrived at the scene. His eyes surveyed the tragic aftermath, and he exhaled a heavy sigh strangers should stay away from our burial grounds," he uttered a stern warning laced with sadness. The price of their disrespect had been paid in blood, and the spirits of the ancient Cherokee ancestors had taken their vengeance. In my twenties my dumbass went camping near Hagerman. Idaho at a little gravel beach spot right off the Snake River. It was myself, my fiancé, and his best friend. They stayed up a little too late Friday night, and I woke up a little too early Saturday morning. Bored, I hiked up through some large boulders on the side of a rocky cliff that was about three hundred feet so I could watch the sunrise. It was a cool July morning fifties so i didn't bring more than a small bottle of water not realizing the desert heats up way faster than you'd ever imagine once that sun hits the horizon within 40 minutes of the sun coming up i decided that it's hitting 70 plus degrees already in time to head back going down was going to be more precarious because there wasn't exactly a trail also with the heat came the rattlesnakes hundreds of them not just one or two but literally slithering out and curling up goddamned everywhere in the crevices between the rocks. I didn't have a stick or way to gently coerce them to move, so I had no option but to get onto the boulders and do my best to hop from rock to rock without killing myself or provoking them. I've never seen or expected so many snakes in one area but with so little water, no suncreen on, and the mid-July desert waiting to dehydrate me to oblivion. Stopping was not an option. My campmates were sleeping off a boozy night and wouldn't hear me call for help, even if I'd tried. I've never been bothered by snakes in the past, but the scene in Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark came swimming to mind with a brand new appreciation. It took me about 90 minutes to get up the cliff and about four hours of precarious leaps to get back down. I finally hit safety around 9.30 a.m. and vowed at that point to never do stupid shit like that again. Mother Nature is metal, and she'll remind you she's the boss every single time. Okay, so in 2006, when I first started working at Walmart at 20, I used to walk several miles home every day down a long highway. Every now and then I used to get picked up by people who were very nice and saw I was suffering out in the heat in the middle of summer with my shirt off and just a wife-beater on. Well, one day a guy picks me up and seems cool at first, but then he started telling me how he is a modeling agent and was looking for talent. He asked if that was something I was interested in, and I wasn't sure, but was wondering where this was going. He started asking me if I have body hair on my body, which I answered, until he started asking if I had any hair on my ass and other private places. At this point, the danger alarms were ringing in my head, and I just wanted to get out of that car extremely fast. I asked him to drop me off at some random neighborhood... That was about 20 minutes from where I live, and I just walked into the staircase, and waited about 15 miles to make sure he wasn't around, and couldn't follow me home. And then I walked home, looking over my shoulder the whole way. To this day, it freaks me out, the vibes the guy gave me. I felt that if I didn't get out of that car, I uh, was never going to make it home. And I just realized I misread the op, and it's about hiking, not hitchhiking, lol. one. One, 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 went hiking at this shitty state park in East Texas. First of all, you drive down this long dirt road past a cemetery where they're having funerals. Then when you finally find the unmarked parking lot, you can see the buzzards all over. Walk down to the lake and the smell of rotting dead animal is overpowering. Buzzards everywhere. Bones everywhere. Finally, you can hear the ranch nearby upstream shooting, and I put it all together. These assholes were shooting varmints and throwing them in the part of the river or creek that would wash them into the lake. The carcasses would eventually wash on shore and rot or be eaten by buzzards, buzzard shit rotting meat and bones everywhere. Not really a hiker, but I live in the woods, and occasionally you see weird shit. You'd be shocked at how often bucks will try to jump or run through a tree at full gallop. With two shoots from one root, think of vulp, shape, and instantly break their neck or get stuck with their horns past the tree but can't squeeze out. They either die immediately and are propped up by the tree or slowly starve in that position. The bottom line is... It's not exactly rare to stumble across what looks like a rotting deer standing between two trees, especially along paths uh, game trails where predators will chase them. Another fun, creepy thing with deer, that's probably related to the above, is chronic wasting disease, mad cow, or UCJD for deer. I swear it literally turns deer into walking zombies with giant wounds showing internal organs, rotting necrotic tissue, growths hanging off them, milky eyes, etc. In other words, the full animal zombie experience. It's incredibly infectious without predators to cull them, so it's affecting whole herds of deer. If you decide to Google it, do it on an empty stomach. Seriously, it's that nasty. I've heard stories and seen videos of bucks literally bashing their heads to pulp on rocks until they're dead. It rots their brain and weakens them so much they just kind of go on autopilot and do all kinds of context-inappropriate deer things. I was camping in Rock Quarry the night before we were going to rock climb the kids were shooting of bottle rockets in the quarry for about an hour then we were all standing around fire just talking when all of a sudden this loud scream came from the top northwest side of the quarry at fist we just stood there looking at each other kind of wondering what in the world what just screamed I asked John, my friend, who has been a avid outdoorsman his whole life, if he had ever heard something like that before, and he said he didn't know what it could be. Then there was another scream, but it was more intense, and it seemed closer this time. At this point, my oldest son went and locked himself in my pickup truck. The screaming went on for a good ten minutes at least. We were just standing there by the fire, amazed at what we were hearing. I'd been videoing the boys with my camcorder, and I didn't even think to turn it on at all. I wish I would have now. The screaming finally ended, and we didn't know what it was, and just kind of talked for a while longer and went to bed. Later on, I woke to hear some far-off screams, and then they ended, and I fell back asleep. We really never talked much about it after that, until one night I was listening to some of the Bigfoot sounds on your page, and when a certain sound came up, the hair on my neck stood up. It was the exact same sound we heard that night in the rock quarry. To verify that I was hearing what I was hearing, I went and woke my son up and told him to come listen to this sound on the computer. I also told him not to look at the computer, but just listen to see if he recognized the sound. I clicked on the sound, and my son, after listening, immediately said, that's what we heard when we went camping at Rattlesnake, and that pretty much confirmed it for me. My opinion is it was Bigfoot. I have hunted and been in the woods my whole life, and have never heard something like that before, or probably will again. I regret not taping the sound, but who was to know? But I definitely believe. This lasted three nights in a row. The first night we were awakened by a very powerful scream. The only way I can describe it was it was like the sound of tires on the road coming to a screeching halt. Just like all the other Bigfoot stories, it was unlike anything I've ever heard, and I know it wasn't a bear, cougar, elk, etc. It was very loud and lengthy, and what caught my attention was it wasn't moving through the woods as a normal North American animal would. It was staying in one spot. It sounded to me like it was breaking tree limbs and rolling logs down a hill. This lasted about ten minutes or so, then it went away. This happened for the next two nights about the same time, but on days two and three it kept moving farther and farther away. Needless to say, I was terrified, but also interested and curious. I was too scared to get out of my tent, so I just lied there and listened and hoped it wouldn't bother us. I was camping with my family at Timothy Lake. Late one night, we were awakened by people at nearby camps, yelling, saying that there was a bear or something outside. We then heard something running pretty fast. I can remember feeling the ground shake when its feet hit the ground. It ran not too far from our tent into the woods, and it sounded like it might have ran into a tree because we heard a loud bang and the sound of a tree cracking and falling. We aren't sure what it was though. While sitting in the blazer, with three other females ranging in age from 1334, all of which were sleeping. That was broken down, waiting for help to return. I noticed on the east side that there seemed to be something peeking out from a tree, approximately 20 into the woods. I was thinking that it could have been a trick of lighting and the wind moving some branches as the only time I seemed to be seeing movement was when I was looking straight ahead to the north. The direction the blazer was headed, and this was out of the corner of my right eye to the east, and every time I would move my head to the right, it would stop. I played this game for a while, but decided that if I was really seeing something, that I was going to have to turn my head to the right. I dozed off for a while, and when I woke, I was still looking off to the right east, and there was something peeking around a tree that was closer, more like 15 feet or so, so I just kept my eyes on the object and was able to make out that it was tall, hairy, light coloring in the face except for the eye and mouth area. It didn't move, but just like a shifting of feet once in a while. It didn't advance any more, but seemed intent on watching what was going on or in seeing just what it was that it was looking at. I couldn't smell anything as the wind was blowing to the east. I didn't awake anyone because I didn't want to scare them. I didn't feel threatened. But I wasn't going to go and check it out either. At 3.30, help arrived, and so I concentrated on what needed to be done to get the broken down rig off the hill. Also noticed, the footsteps that were heard were further down the hill, closer to the second split in the logging road. I don't have any more detail other than what I already said about that part. Other witnesses. There were four of us up on the hill. I was waiting for my husband to come back with help. The other three were sleeping. I didn't mention this to anyone till later in the day. The 17-year-old said that she had heard walking around the truck and that she knew the difference between two and four feet stepping around and that it was something on two feet. She didn't see anything, though. In June of 1970, I was riding my motorcycle to Jenolan Caves. Around 10 a.m., the sky darkened, and I decided to continue to the Canangra walls. As I drove along the gum-lined road near Oberon, a silvery glow suddenly overcame me, lighting up the road to hit. Unable to stop, I drove straight into the glow. The recently darkened sky allowed the bright glow to illuminate the surrounding forest, seemingly originating from above. As I entered the glow, I was lifted quickly towards a large circular object. Once inside, the floor closed beneath me, leaving me standing in a glowing light blue room. The room was hexagonal and flat, about fifty feet across and twelve feet high. I was terrified, but a voice in my head reassured me, and I began to relax. A wall section slid open, and three alien-looking beings, about six feet tall, with grayish-blue skin, approached me. They had teeth, noses, and sex organs similar to humans, but their eyes were like a doze. The beings led me into another room with strange equipment and a large metallic oblong block which had a body-shaped groove in it. After examining me, they asked me to lie in the groove where I felt magnetized and glued to the metal. Eventually, I passed out. When I regained consciousness, I was surrounded by multiple blue beings. Two of them held my clothes, shoes, and belongings. I dressed myself as they watched, and they led me through a brightly lit passageway to a large tube-shaped walkway which led to a colossal building. Inside, I saw countless male and female beings communicating telepathically. I was led to a green dome-shaped building where I would temporarily reside. It had odd furniture, a rubbery bed, and a toilet made of crystal-like metal. The two beings showed me various fruits and vegetables to eat and drinks in plastic jars and bottles. During my stay, I was flown in an oval-shaped hovercraft vehicle along a metallic road to a vast museum-like building, and later to a different world with narrow waterways and forests of tall trees. I saw a large ocean with drinkable water and various watercraft. My captors informed me that I'd been taken for study and that they had studied my memory and brain. Before I lost consciousness, I was told that the inhabitants of this planet were called Ultra, beings at the peak of evolution. And when I woke up, I would possess higher knowledge. When I came to, I was lying on the road beside my motorcycle, half an hour before my abduction. Confused, I got up, started my motorcycle, and went home. My family didn't believe my story, and Eventually, after suffering a breakdown due to my experience, I left the country with them. My friends and I were inseparable. Our favorite pastime was playing manhunt in the dense forest near our neighborhood. The thrill of chasing each other through the woods and the adrenaline rush of trying not to be caught kept us entertained for hours on end. One summer evening, we had split up into teams, and the game was in full swing. The forest had always felt eerie, and the sense of being watched was ever-present. But we were young and fearless, and the excitement of the game outweighed any lingering uneasiness. As darkness fell, we started to lose track of each other. My friend, let's call him Mike, had wandered deeper into the forest, drawn by what he believed were our voices calling out to him. The calls grew louder and more insistent, luring him further into the dense woods. Mike eventually stumbled upon an unsettling scene. Small figures made of sticks were hanging from the trees all around him, like eerie effigies. Swaying gently in the breeze, in the middle of the forest, he found a church that seemed to appear out of nowhere, its presence entirely out of place. The calls he had been following abruptly stopped, leaving him with a chilling silence. What Mike didn't know was that we had left the forest long before, concerned for his safety and unable to locate him. The voices he had heard were not ours, and he couldn't shake the feeling that something sinister had been trying to lure him deeper into the woods. Terrified, Mike raced back towards the edge of the forest, desperate to escape the haunting scene he had just witnessed.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: When he finally emerged breathless and shaken, we were waiting for him. As he recounted his experience, we couldn't help but feel a shiver run down our spines. To this day... We don't know how much of Mike's story was true, or whether his imagination had gotten the better of him. But one thing was certain. The forest had always been a place where we felt uneasy. We had come across broken bottles, mysterious teepees, and signs of demonic activity, likely the work of mischievous teenagers with a can of spray paint. But after that night, we couldn't shake the feeling that something darker lurked within those woods. We never played manhunt in the forest again, and the memories of our carefree teenage years were forever tinged with the eerie echoes of that one fateful night. When I was around ten, I was walking along a track near the ocean with my parents. I ran ahead and heard a commotion in the tree above me. I looked up in time to see a possum's carcass drop at my feet. Its head was gone. I'd spooked an eagle. I immediately looked back at my dad, thinking it was some practical joke he's pulled. When we were walking back, we saw a couple and warned them to watch out for flying headless possums. They must have thought we were crazy. My day started like any other summer day, only this time I had the whole day to myself. It was August 7th, and I had decided to spend it in the beautiful town of Valsets, Oregon, specifically on the South Fork of the Sillets River. I was just a mile west of the town, an area now closed due to fire danger. My plan was to enjoy a peaceful day panning for gold, something I've found to be incredibly calming and rewarding over the years. The morning was beautiful, with a cool breeze and the sun's rays piercing through the tall trees. After a while, I got lost in the peaceful rhythm of panning. Suddenly, a smell hit me. It was peculiar and strong, something I hadn't experienced before. It was a mixture of wet dog and something else I couldn't put my finger on. Lifting my gaze from the shimmering water, I I saw it through the rim of my glasses i could see a figure standing tall and motionless i squinted adjusting my glasses for a clearer view and there it was a creature that could only be described as a bigfoot staring right at me it was about eight feet tall covered in dark fur its eyes holding an intelligent yet wild gaze my heart pounded in my chest as a wave of fear washed over me However, instead of screaming or running, I decided to talk softly to the creature trying to show it. I meant no harm. To my surprise, it tilted its head slightly, as if listening, then turned around and walked away into the forest. Still shaken, I packed my gear and headed for my car, my day of peaceful panning now transformed into a day I'd never forget, as I drove off. I glanced at the trees, and there it was, another one silently standing and watching from the forest edge. Now, I know there will be skeptics reading this. It's not every day someone claims to have seen a Bigfoot, let alone two in one day. But I stand by what I saw, and as incredible as it may sound, it wasn't the first time. Over the years, I've been fortunate, or maybe just plain lucky, to uh, had about 40 or 50 encounters with these elusive creatures. My experiences have made me believe that there's a lot more to this world than we think we know. I was backpacking with my boyfriend in the mountains in Colorado. The area was fairly popular, a big parking lot, with a few trails that split off into different directions. We had passed through a big valley and were making our way up through steep woods with lots of switchbacks. We were carrying good-sized packs and planned to camp in an alpine meadow above. It was summer, good weather, good times. I have a few guns, and I brought one that I hadn't hiked with before. A Smith & Wesson 4-inch-686. It was heavy. We took turns carrying it in the holster and in hand. Not on my hip, like I do with my smaller and lighter 3-inch Smith. I'd started with it on my hip, but it was too big, awkward, heavy. My boyfriend is carrying the gun as we turn past another switchback. We see a guy coming down the trail towards us. A few unusual things immediately caught our attention. One... He didn't have a backpack, or water, or any gear at all. We were a few miles in, so someone should at least have water. 2. He was wearing surgical type gloves. For real, not regular outdoor gloves. Not some newfangled hipster outdoor gloves from REA. Actual surgical gloves in the middle of the forest. 3. He had an extremely creepy expression. Eyes too big and wide icky, too-big smile. My boyfriend and I exchanged a few quick words before he reached us, getting mentally prepared. My boyfriend had the gun, if we needed it, and we stepped off the trail slightly so he wouldn't pass too close. He just smiled his creepy smile and went past. Because my boyfriend was carrying that heavy gun in his hand, still holstered, that dude knew we had a gun. It obviously wasn't pointed at the guy, but he knew. As we went on, my boyfriend and I kept stopping and checking to be sure he wasn't coming back behind us. Not far past this, we saw a bit of blue tarp poking out from behind a large rock. We both thought it could be a body or something, so my boyfriend checked and wasn't happy to have that job. Just a tarp, crumpled but in good shape, seemed to have been put there recently. Not sure why it would be way up there, though. We eventually reached the Alpine Lake and camped. Nothing bad happened. There was another couple somewhat nearby on one side of the lake, which made me feel better. Normally, I'd rather be alone after backpacking in. But they were closer to the trail, so if the crazy dude came back, maybe he'd go after them first, and we would hear something. I know that's really horrible to think, say that, but they were a buffer. Anyway, nothing bad happened. But we never forgot that dude. I am so glad I wasn't alone. Thank you, boyfriend. Why no gear or water, but surgical gloves and a lunatic expression a few miles in on a mountain trail. I had a pretty close encounter in September 1994, I believe, near Tallgate, Oregon, during elk bow season. I had been in the woods for several days. I was tracking a out on the north side of USFS Road 64, Skyline, about opposite Jubilee Lake, at about 1 or 2 p.m. I was down the Skookum side of Dusty Ridge, about one quarter to half mile from Dusty Spring, an abandoned campground and saw movement about 70 yards cross lope and down at the edge of a clearing. Some thirty or forty yards across a large biped with unusually long-seeming arms walked across the clearing heading away and up slope at an unhurried pace. Near the far edge of the clearing it stopped and turned, looking directly at me. It was covered head to foot in hair, dark brownish in color, and I got a very too good. Actually, look at it. It knew I was there. I have no doubt to this day. It then turned and continued away. I saw it for perhaps two minutes in bright sunlight. I vacated the area without finding my elk or going over to look for tracks. I can say it was not a man or anything I have seen before. As it walked, it swung its arms, but they were so that the palms of the hand was clearly to the rear, and much nearer the knees as opposed to the hip as mine are, The date time can be better established because when I got home and was telling my wife, she said that the previous weekend some guy had taken videos of Bigfoot at Hoodoo Springs some 20 miles from where I was at, and they had been on the news. I have no pictures, but can certainly take someone to the spot without difficulty even now. I was 18 and was going to a friend's, say, Mike, house with another friend of mine. Let's call him Joe, on my bike, motorcycle, to be clear. So we reached this friend's house, which was in first floor. We tried calling him out from the street. His moms came out and said he wasn't home. We started again from there to another spot, where we and a couple of other friends hang out, just after we start. Joe tells me to go the same spot that I had in mind, and I tell him I had the same thoughts, too. Now we reach the spot, and almost all of our friends are there, as expected. I had a tiny little chat, which barely lasted a minute, and then noticed that Joe wasn't behind me. I concluded myself that he was playing me and asked the guys where he was hiding. They had no idea what I was talking about. I thought of pranking them all back and decided to leave the place so that Joe would have to walk back home. A couple of hundred meters later, Joe walks towards me from a completely different direction. I was completely blank because I'm the only one with a motorcycle and nobody else could drop him there from the spot. I asked him how he got there. Joe, I got down at the Mike's home. When you started, I was screaming for you to stop, but you just kept going. I was like, Who was I talking to then, on the way to the spot? The solitude that comes with living in a national park can be both intoxicating and haunting. I spent three months as the sole human inhabitant in one, a seemingly endless expanse of nature that was both my home and my sanctuary. The experience was mostly peaceful. THE SILENCE BROKEN ONLY BY THE SOUNDS OF THE WIND, THE TREES, AND THE OCCASIONAL WILDLIFE. BUT THERE WAS SOMETHING ELSE THAT OFTEN PUNCTUATED THE QUIET, MUSIC. IT WAS A MELODY AS SOFT AND TINKLING AS A MUSIC BOX, OR PERHAPS A DISTANT ICE-CREAM TRUCK ON A HOT SUMMER DAY. THE peculiar THING WAS, IT ALWAYS SEEMED TO ECHO FROM SOMEWHERE ABOVE ME, A MELODY FLOATING ON THE BREEZE an auditory illusion that was both fascinating and slightly unsettling. One day, driven by curiosity, I decided to track the source of the enigmatic music. I followed the dirt road that wound past my humble trailer, guided only by the elusive, ethereal melody that continued to waft through the trees. But as I ventured further, it was difficult to gauge if I was getting closer or if the source was just as elusive as before. My eyes were fixed on the treetops, straining to locate the origin of the strange sounds when my gaze was drawn downward. A snake lay stretched out in the path ahead. I stumbled backward in surprise, but the creature made no move. It took me a moment to understand why. The snake was dead. My heart pounded in my chest as I looked around and saw that the snake wasn't alone. Half a dozen dead copperheads lay strewn across the road, their lifeless bodies all aligned in the same direction. It was as if they had been journeying somewhere, only to be simultaneously struck down. Fear snaked its way up my spine, replacing my curiosity with a primal instinct to retreat. I couldn't bring myself to step over the ominous assembly of deceived serpents. Turning around, I rushed back to my trailer, intent on using my car to navigate past the eerie spectacle. But as I fumbled for my keys, the music abruptly ceased. The ensuing silence was almost deafening, filling the space the melody had previously occupied. The sudden stop seemed to echo the strange, unsettling event I had just witnessed. Despite my numerous walks afterward, the music never returned. The only reminders of that day were the silent woods in the memory of the bizarre serpentine gathering on the road. The experience became another secret shared between the park and me, an enigma that underscored the underlying mystery and magic of nature. This started as early as my childhood. I reckon I'm what my religion or community describes as special. I have the ability to see the paranormal. However, I'm taught to be as logical and scientific as possible since young. I often try to explain my special encounters as reflection of light. My eyes are blurry, bad lightnings. So let me tell you a bit more about my vision since young, often then not I see black mist figures, and I can't exactly see their facial expression, just a vague human-like body covered with either black or white cloth, and they merely appear for a blink of an eye. However, this one incident had me convinced that truly whatever I have seen or encountered was not just my imagination. In my Asian community, we tends to stay at our parents' till we are married or whenever we are financially stable of affording one. Houses in the Asian community are not cheap at all. So, being a college undergraduate, after working on my thesis till 3 a.m., I decided to call it a night, switch on my night lights, and get ready for my night reading. Halfway through, a white figure with a distorted face and lenny hair came floating into my room. I definitely had my window closed since I lived in an air-conditioned room. It was staring at me as it make its way to the side of my bed slowly, gently and silently. Fear intertwined my every cells, my body unable to obey my command. Her bloodshot eyes locked with mine, and abruptly she let out an eerie shriek for a minute or two and disappear into thin air. My parents, upon hearing the shriek, came rushing in as I burst into tears. Till this date, we have no explanation whom it was or what's its purpose. When I was a police officer, I had the ability to bond with folks with mental health issues. They would calm down, and the situation would defuse itself. There was one older woman. She had an apartment but would wander the streets at all hours. She would scream at passing cars, go into businesses, and and start asking for money, and steal people's food, etc. She also shoplifted. A lot. Needless to say, she got arrested a lot. When she would be arrested, she would fight like a wildcat, injuring herself and the officers arresting her. Except for me. I would say, Annie, you're gonna have to go with me now, and she would. The first time I arrested her, I asked if she had eaten, and she said no. So I stopped at KFC and got her a two-piece and a biscuit. Drove real slow to the jail so she could eat. After that, when she got caught stealing, she would request me to take her in. I didn't mind because no one got hurt. Annie didn't bathe real regular so that to freshen up, she would splash herself with Stetson aftershave. The combination of her body odor and the Stetson could really gag you. Fast forward, and I've gotten promoted to sergeant. Right after coming on for afternoon shift, we get a fatal car accident. Annie had walked into the street at rush hour and been run over by a truck. Pretty bad scene, the wheel crushed her head, and I couldn't help but be depressed, because while she could be a pain, she couldn't help it. It was just sad— When I got promoted, I was issued an unmarked car to replace my marked unit, 361. I was out on the road later that evening when dispatch got a call that someone was breaking into one of the cruisers parked behind the station. They said the person was in the back seat, sitting. I was close and responded. The citizen pointed out the cruise, and it was my old one, 361. When I got to it, no one was in it. I opened it up and was immediately hit with the overpowering smell of Stetson aftershave. When I was just a kid, roughly 14, I am now 20, my dad and I went archery hunting on state game land a couple miles from our house. There were a lot of tram roads from people mining for coal back in the days. That said, we were a mile from the main road where we had our tree stands my dad's stand was about 100 yards east of mine. Anyway, it was getting dark, so I knew to head out of the stand and meet my dad at the truck. I heard all this crashing and thought one. My dad was meeting my at my stand for once and two. He was making a lot of noise. So I turned my head and boom. I see two little bear cubs play fighting with one another. They couldn't have been a year old. Truly a beautiful sight to see. However, what terrified me the most... Where was Mama Bear? I immediately called my dad, freaking out. He said, well, you're an idiot for staying in the woods this long. Should have been at the truck by now. Just make your way towards me, I'll beat you on the trail. The cubs were far enough out to where I could still see them. But there was a good distance between us. With my arrow still notched in my three pocket knife in my hand, I climbed out of my stand and tried to be as quiet as possible. I met my dad and we made it home. I have never been more terrified of the woods. Except when I run into a spider web hanging face, level in the middle of a trail. Heart attack every time. I work in the field of prison corrections where surveillance is a critical part of our operations. In the supervisor's control booth, I have a clear view of the inmate housing unit control booths where my deputies closely monitor the activities of the inmates. One particular night, as I glanced at the CCTV monitors, I noticed my deputy sitting in the control booth. Curiosity struck me, and I decided to call him to inquire about the person standing behind him. It was an odd sight, because there shouldn't have been anyone else present, as everyone had responded to an emergency call. To my surprise, he replied that he was alone in the booth. Confused, I continued watching, as the figure remained there, while my deputy diligently searched for the mysterious presence as soon as he settled back in his seat and picked up the telephone, the figure vanished into thin air. Determined to make sense of what I had witnessed, I hurriedly went to review the security footage, hoping to capture evidence of the strange figure. However, as I meticulously examined the recorded footage, there was no trace of the mysterious entity. It was as if it had never appeared on the screen at all. Ever since that incident, Whenever my gaze falls upon that particular camera angle on the monitor, a shiver runs down my spine. The memory of that inexplicable sight lingers, haunting me to this day, even though it happened six years ago.